All right, and we're back. Welcome back, everyone. This is episode two of Let's Talk Life podcast, and I have my wonderful friend Jackie back on. And Happy, today, honored to be here again. <laughs> honored to have you back in the seat. Um, we're still outside, and today we're going to talk about marijuana, but we're also going to talk about it in the context of uh, race social justice, the war on drugs, um, and Jackie has far more knowledge than I have, so I will definitely be curious. I hope that I'll ask some questions that you would have asked had you been sitting in my seat, so you'll, you know, get a chance to learn uh, some more about what you're curious about. So, Jackie, tell me about what you're bringing to us today. Uh, Well, I want to explain why I even... uh, asked to talk about this Um, because the last time that we spoke I mentioned my you know one of my identities as a recreational cannabis user Mm -hmm. and with reflection I know that I can't say that without it like it's irresponsible for me as a white woman to say that I am a recreational cannabis user and not contextualize that use Mm -hmm. and my privilege in the United States, you know, just with whatever knowledge, probably rudimentary that I have about the history of mass incarceration in the United States and the way it disproportionately affects people of color and black Americans with good conscience, like, you know, I knew I wanted to discuss this a little bit more. So, so we are, we are both white, uh, females. Yeah. So there's definitely that. Well, how does that privilege come into play right off the bat for me as a cannabis user? I mean, I, as a white woman, for instance, you know, my car is less likely to be searched for drugs and so is my person in stop and frisk. I mean, I seriously, if we look at the stats, um, the amount of people that NYPD stop and frisk that looked like me, I, I don't think, I don't have that stat, but. Yeah, I, I imagine I it's be, low. Yeah, I imagine it's low. Uh, other races so and genders. That, yeah, the, the racial discrimination comes into play in those things. And. I also have the privilege where, you know, if there's a scent of marijuana on my clothing, I mean, if somebody, if I walk past somebody in the street or at school, I don't go to school right now, but for example, I don't know if that was something that you, listener, as as a white person do, I mean, Mm -hmm. you're way less likely to get called out for it or get in trouble or have people think it's you, you know, in the crowd who smells like marijuana, literally just because of the way that you look. That just like initial racial bias, it has crazy detrimental effects in practice. Yeah. In high school, I had a really fantastic, obviously we went to high school together and I had a really fantastic teacher my sociology teacher uh, gave me a book called The New Jim Crow, basically like, upon graduation to read. And 
we swapped some emails discussing it and it really was one of the first books that I read that really got me to think very critically about race and and the way that privilege shapes this country and um, basically to understand that the United States is built on a system of racial discrimination and still upholds that system in many ways. So in this book, it it also like really outlines for you just how like drug offenses alone are basically the reason for the large incarceration rate in the United States. Like the United States, I mean, I, I don't know, for a developed country, it has one of the highest incarceration, incarceration rates in the world. And most of those are drug offenses. Mm-hmm. According to the new Jim Crow, drug arrests have literally tripled since 1980. So that means that there's been 31 million people arrested for drug offenses since the quote-unquote war on drugs began. Okay, can you can you speak a little more to, to that, sort of the beginning of where this all started? Yeah, the war on drugs is not really, I guess, a, a war fought, um, you know, that you can see as visually, right, that we're engaged in within combat per se. Uh, but... According to literature, the the war on drugs basically began with the Reagan administration Mm -hmm. because Reagan was mighty conservative. That's not news to anyone. (laughs) And, uh, you know, part of what he really, like, stressed to get elected was that he was going to crack down on crime because, Mm -hmm. and he used a lot of dog whistles, like, you know, saying welfare queens were, you know, taking advantage of this country and... Um, crime-ridden neighborhoods mm-hmm. were ruining things. Uh, so he he racialized his talking points from the start. Once he was elected, he basically officially began the war on drugs, which was supposed to be a crackdown on crime. Um, but, like, drugs really were not, you know, high on people's priority of things to crack down on. He invested, like, millions of dollars into the DEA anyway. And... Most of the arrests, you know, that he's making and that have been made since are for, I, I mean, I can't believe this, but are for marijuana. Mm-hmm. And is, let's just think about marijuana right now, okay? <laughs> Angela, what do you think, according to, like, drug classifications, you know, like, do you understand that drugs are classified, like, cert, like according to the DEA? For instance, like certain drugs are are class one, like the highest felony, Mm -hmm. you know, the worst drug. So there's class two. Um, Where do you think marijuana is in this? Like, do you think marijuana is certified higher than meth or lower? (laughs) I mean, in my mind, I would say it's lower, but based on your... I feel like this is a rhetorical question. Oh, come on. Don't just in your mind, you know. I would say it's lower than meth. Yeah. It's actually in the same classification. Oh. As ecstasy. She tricked me. Okay. And as heroin. Wow. It's a schedule (sighs) one drug, according to the federal government. So it's a really serious, it's like viewed as a really (laughs) serious drug offense. 
that's a Schedule 1 drug. Schedule 2 drugs, for example, include uh, hydrocodone, Vicodin, cocaine, methadone, like really intense stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Meth- methamphetamine is a Schedule 2. Okay. But there's a... <laughs> really, sorry. <laughs> methylenidox of methamphetamine. I was using that for ecstasy. Sorry. See, here's the thing also. I don't know a lot of these drugs because I am afraid of them. I am afraid of, you know, sabotaging my already, you know, fragile mental health with harder drugs. drugs. Yeah. Um, So it really does blow my mind that you know, something that honestly seems medicinal to me um, mm-hmm. and to a lot of, a lot of users, people, a lot of people, uh, is, is scheduled so high. So what that does is, uh, okay. Let I me, mean, I'm curious about the rationale. Like, why put it? There was literally, um, like, marijuana fear fever stoked by the Reagan administration. They sort of... um, Was it arbitrary that they chose marijuana or was it because it was accessible and they wanted to put certain people... I think it was associated with civil rights groups that were coalescing at the time. Got it. The, The working class whites and blacks looking for more civil rights were coalescing into like a larger civil rights movement Mm -hmm. that was going to maybe take over, take some of the Republican party's votes and votership. Sure, But by stoke, you know, using these dog whistles like welfare queen and fighting crime in, you know, certain neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. uh, Reagan like divided some social groups stoked. Yeah. You know, he stoked division among the people. Who else is doing that right now? Hmm. I wonder who that sounds like. History repeats Um, itself. And by selling black people as people who are more likely to have drugs in their neighborhood, and I guess maybe that includes marijuana, which he just had to make sound so bad. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why it was all lumped together. Got it. Again, I'm, I'm not... And I'm not claiming to be an expert. I'm just uh, a reporter who read a book, and I highly recommend <laughs> that you read yes. it as well if you're interested in these ideas. If you disagree with some of these ideas, the new Jim Crow really uh, makes you think about a lot of things in regards to a race in this country. I I don't know if you want to go here just yet, yeah, because. I mean, obviously, I want to get to that's then and this is now, and there are so many parallels. And I'm also curious about the people who would oppose what you're bringing to the table right now. Like, what are some of the things that you've heard? Who would disagree with you? Like, what are some of the counter arguments that you've heard of that people might say, hey, Jackie, but what about this? Um, I think people would say, you know, the DEA... Most most drug offenses, they would say, are trying to bust, uh, you know, they're trying to bust cartels, dangerous people. Um, you know, we need to fund these things. We need people to do stop and frisk. We need people to honestly uh, do this work mm-hmm. that Reagan funded, that the DEA does. Uh, 
people would say to keep our kids safe, you know, to keep our streets clean. Um, I would point out that most people, like most drug arrests, are not big cartels. It's not actually, God, Pablo Escobar, you know, who's being arrested. <laughs> um, yeah. Most, uh, most offenses are, are like petty, petty criminals, and, and most like they're they're arresting like you know small sellers individuals that's what makes up the majority of these arrests mm-hmm. so that is one one counter argument okay. another counter argument is it can't be that serious like even if you are okay arrested for marijuana like maybe you, you like it's your fault for having it like in in wherever you were arrested for it let's say like it was in public or something and somewhere where you're not allowed to have it. Maybe you should have been more careful. Like, Got it. So people get, are justifying. Right. Um, I would ask you, do you think this person deserves to lose their voting rights because they were found with marijuana on them? You know, most people don't think about just how big the consequences are mm-hmm. if you are labeled a felon yeah. in this country. And that is what you would be labeled as. Yeah, absolutely. A, like what I consider should be a petty offense, but because of the federal classification of marijuana as a schedule <laughs> one drug, it's a really serious, it can be a really serious arrest if you're not living in a place where it's decriminalized. Okay. Or if you're caught with it, you know, over the decriminalized amount mm-hmm. or growing your own stuff when you're not supposed to. Like, there are mm-hmm. some people who have been caught because they're trying to grow things for their own personal medicinal use or family members. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they get busted really serious for that. And when when you get arrested for a marijuana offense, you, you know, you stand to lose your opportunity to, to vote. You stand to lose, you know, how, out on job opportunities. Employers can find that information in a criminal database. Housing committees, you can be subject to housing discrimination. Yeah, you're marked forever. It'll follow you forever. You become a second-class citizen. And we are literally, by virtue of being white people, we have the privilege of not thinking about that. We're not as, we don't feel that fear I think as immediately. Mm-hmm. And so we don't understand, I think even how serious of an offense it could be to be caught with an illegal amount of cannabis on you. And it, it like baffles me because um, I just, I escape a lot of those very serious consequences just by virtue of what I look like. Yeah. How many people like are having their lives changed this way. Is it even a lot of people? Uh, you have a stat? Yeah, the NYPD let's, let's, let's bring it. made 50,300 marijuana arrests in 2010 alone, according oh, to the new Jim Crow. Dear. Most most of those arrests were young men of color. So that's 50,300 people who will potentially experience housing discrimination. Maybe not all those people could afford bail, and so mm-hmm. they were kept places like Rikers Island, maybe like Khalif Browder, kept in 
isolation cells for intense period. Like, you don't know what happens to a person. It's not your problem. And they go into the criminal justice system. But right. it is a spider web that is very hard to get out of. And so I, I just think it's important for us to be aware of this stuff. And yeah. that, you know, that's a localized fact for for our for right, our area in New York City, New Jersey, but, so. um, you know, find, find the stats in your local area, uh, you know, maybe do some digging into a local database. A lot of places are starting to like break down the arrests that way. It seems very overall, very dehumanizing for the people who are arrested, people of color primarily. And for us white people, it's like, I don't know, like, do you, when, when we hear things like that, do we think of these people as human beings or are they automatically criminals or yeah. dangerous people that are going to ruin our society? And so good riddance, we should put them in right. custody. Um, I mean, the thing about getting arrested for marijuana specifically is on your record, it's, it's in the criminal database that like employers can see in housing committees it's most commonly just listed as um a drug arrest Mm -hmm. so people can guess whatever drug (laughs) that is and honestly you know people's minds usually go to a worse place yeah i think yeah Uh, especially if there's some kind of discrimination based on race at play Mm -hmm. because that's just the way people are they They must be using hard drugs Mm -hmm. and it that's just an extra suckiness because and I, I know I really should not be stigmatizing other drug users in this conversation and I am trying not to. Um, and I'm sorry if I did by, by way of, of that yeah. last comment, but I mean, I'm sure someone who gets arrested for one joint is really fucking pissed when (laughs) just general drug offense is listed on their record and they're like oh my god like i can't explain that away to anyone i just have to let them make up their minds it leaves so much room for mm. and i do think there is a yeah like that stigma on on people and and on felons Yes. Quote, unquote. Even that word is, like, I guess, meant to be intimidating or connotate something. Yeah. Negative. Um, There really just needs to be room for rehabilitation. Right. And reentry. Because our justice system doesn't even get it right a lot of the time. So the least we could do is provide a proper reentry support system yes i know that there are programs out there like that but i i mean you can have a program for something it still feels like a band-aid and at the end of the day the employer right right right. you can still choose as an employer to discriminate even if this person's been through a program i don't know i i can't imagine that that doesn't happen yeah, and you have no way of knowing. I mean, I'm, if you're bold enough to ask, <laughs> you can, are not guaranteed to get the answer. Mm-hmm. People really hate owning up to their racism. Sure do. 
you know, and just when you asked that, I really, so it, it made me think about the shelter in Hackensack. My uh, brother is a social worker, just graduated. He used to work there. They are closed. I say used to because they are closed right now. Um, and he, you know, told me he would see a, basically a pipeline of people who would leave the county jail. And then the first stop they had to make was to the homeless Cross shelter the because they also provide services, you know, for medication. A lot of people would come in need of mental health resources, mm-hmm. in need of assistance finding housing and jobs. Like, And we were just discussing how difficult those things are to get. Yes. So, you know, the, that facility already was stressed and doing the best they could. And now it's not even open. I just think it's important to, you know, honestly keep all of this in mind. If you are a white person Mm -hmm. and you take a puff of marijuana when listening to this. Right. Yeah. Really. Or after this or whatever, you really should be. I want you to have a very conscious, uh, self-critical moment because you are privileged to be able to do that probably with much more ease much less fear mm-hmm. um, much less anxiety and persecution and judgment I mean we're talking about decriminalizing now and that's that's something in the right direction yeah that's um, something and then there's legalization literally the biggest step I so nationwide legalization cannot happen, if I understand this correctly, until marijuana is no longer classified as a Schedule One drug. And, okay, so I also took this class in college, which, again, I want to say does not make me an expert, but it was called The War on Drugs. So that's another reason oh, nice. for my, my interest on this. Yeah. It's taught by a wonderful professor named Nancy Allen and... Uh, th- she was explaining that legalize that it would be very difficult to change the classification mm-hmm. of marijuana from a schedule one drug to, okay, maybe a schedule four, maybe that's low enough. I don't, I, I don't know even, <laughs> it should just be legal. Yeah. Um, but sh- essentially it, for it to be, legal nationwide I think the classification has changed and that's apparently very difficult so uh, I I think it has to be legalized now state by state basically mm-hmm. how, what we were doing with gay marriage because right. we were fed up as a country <laughs> and then finally finally you know a Supreme Court case paved the way for us to have this thing that should have been legalized long ago long legalized long. And that is kind of the situation we're in now, where we have this weird cobblestone country where yes. we're, you know, some states like Colorado and Massachusetts, they have places um, that sell marijuana and they have cafes where you can smoke. It's a different world. It's like yeah. Amsterdam there. And then in some states, you're thrown in the clunker. Right. I We had this discussion about marijuana and legalization and decriminalization in my addictions course 
I'm, I'm a counseling student, so obviously addiction is really commonplace um, when it comes to mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are people with differing opinions on... I, I think we all agree mm-hmm. decriminalization is the way to go because it seems really s- absolutely silly to have someone locked up mm-hmm. um, in Rikers Island mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for... Mm-hmm smoking marijuana or possession of marijuana it it, i don't know the it's just wild to me but anyway there are a lot of um i think fears around legalization because you know we have marijuana anonymous we have folks that are use it as their coping strategy and become addicted to this drug i'm kind of one of those people who's like i think you can be addicted to, I think you can have an unhealthy uh, behavior associated with a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. Almost anything. Ab- yes, exactly. <laughs> Those are totally valid fears. And that that is why we need people who are hesitant about decriminalization and legalization involved in the conversation, too. Because we can work together right. to determine um you know like guidelines governing legislation ways to keep people safe right because i don't i don't think anyone should be locked up for possession of or use of marijuana i don't think um a middle school kid should be able to smoke it either because of developmental milestones and brain development and things like that right but it just doesn't feel right in there has the to be bigger in the grand right in the grand scheme of things to be locked up for marijuana to bring it back to to race right mm, you yeah. as someone who uses cannabis how have you grappled with your own privilege and how you can mm. support you know the black lives matter movement mm. the <laughs> legalization movement as a white person with all of this privilege I would say my my like consciousness about it has has certainly my awareness of being a white person smoking has uh, just kind of heightened over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when I I would say I guess maybe the first time I smoked, I, I mean it was nowhere near my mind. I thinking about race uh, interplaying with. Literally, I just wasn't thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But now I think I try. I mean, I, I you can tell I grapple with it because I, I can't even really. I don't have perfect um, thoughts about yeah. really honestly what more I should do. I know I can always be doing more. And part of that is having this conversation. Right. I just literally talking with other people about our privilege. Yeah. I think if I'm, you know, around other white people who are smokers or if somebody mentions that they use marijuana and they're white, I think it is a conversation worth having to talk about your privilege. You know, investing in anti-racist organizations that pursue fair policing policies, mm-hmm. police reform, criminal justice reform, especially in regards to the inequities 
between white people and black people. Uh, so donating to the ACLU, which fights for a lot of different causes, but they do work in regards to... Um, Should put links in the show notes. Marijuana. Yeah. We for can, anyone that's, we'll do um, some more research you know, has the, means, has the means to put their money somewhere. Yeah. Not everyone does, but... It's a great thing to do. It's though. great if you can do it to, to do that. Okay, yeah. continue. Sorry, I cut you off there. No, that, that I, that's, that's what people uh, should be inspired to do. Yeah. And also um, trying to, if you are living somewhere where you have, you know, legal access to legal marijuana, trying to purchase from black-owned businesses, mm-hmm. it's a totally fair frustration that people have as legalization progresses in some states and some of the owners of like big cannabis companies and uh, marijuana growing businesses are white. Like yep. a lot of the, the entrepreneurship within that business right now, within a, probably a lot of businesses is white. And considering that there are still so many black Americans locked up for using marijuana, that's pretty, uh, that's a fucked up like dichotomy that there's so many white people profiting off of this thing that so many black people are in jail for still. So trying to write that with your own individual purchasing power by Mm -hmm. purchasing your smoking products and your herbs from black owned businesses. Yes. Yes. A lot. All right. I just really uh, appreciate Angela. I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to check my privilege which I really felt as soon as I reflected upon our conversation last time, I was like, you know what? What the? Yeah. I, I said, you know, one of the, I said three things about myself. Which oh. There's so much more to me, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, and one of those things was that I, I smoke marijuana and I'm a and white girl yeah. in New Jersey. And you what felt, the fuck? you felt safe saying yeah, that. Yeah, I felt you know? safe saying that. And I cannot just let that fly. I was like, I can't let that fly, Jackie. You <laughs> cannot do that. Yes, that's it's modeling what ideally would happen. Hopefully, in, yeah. Hopefully, um, more white folks are 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 having that same internal conversation of, oh wow, what I just said speaks volumes about my place in the world and mm-hmm. who I'm allowed to be and how I'm allowed to show up and the safety that comes with the color of my skin yeah um check your privilege yeah pay some restorations yeah reparations in in the form of a, I i guess your money to yeah. black owned businesses and if there's any law nerds out there legal justice nerds yeah we would love to have you on mm-hmm. seriously Yes. Yeah. Seriously. If there's any law students who want to talk about these topics, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Would love to talk to you about it. Um, so, this was a a wonderful conversation. We will have more of them, and if anyone that is listening, um, if we've said anything that is wrong that you disagree with that you feel we could have done better around like do uh, voice that feedback rate the podcast review the podcast share the podcast 
and check the citations. And check the citations. Yeah, check check in the show notes. We'll we'll leave um, some some links to uh, the new Jim Crow, ACLU, and any other nifty resources that we have. Yeah. Um, well, thanks, Jackie, for having this open dialogue with me. Thank you, Edge. Yeah. You're welcome. All right. Well, until next time, guys. Bye. Bye.